You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, we're in the seventh week of our series where we're going verse by verse through what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. If you're new to Rev Church, you're joining us online for the first time, what we like to do the majority of the time, 90, 95% of the time, is we like to teach verse by verse through entire books of the Bible or through large passages of Scripture like the Sermon on the Mount. It allows us to really understand and enjoy the context of the Scripture and what was truly being taught or said in the Scripture. Now, this week, we're going to take a look at the last two of six what we call antitheses. The antithesis being, you've heard this before, where Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, and then he says, but I say to you, today, we're going to try to fit in the last two of six. Today's passage really honestly might be the most iconic words that Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. It might be the most iconic scripture that there is in the New Testament because what we're going to unpack today is really the crux of what separates Christians and people that follow Jesus from every other major religion and everyone else in the world. Last week, Jeff did an incredible job of talking about our words And how important it is to tell the truth and say what we mean. And this week, what we're going to see is that inevitably our actions tie directly to our words. This week, what we're going to see is what we say and what we do go hand in hand. And we're going to see that it's not just enough to say the right thing, but we absolutely have to do the right thing. And as a result, we won't be hypocrites, if that makes sense. I heard about this couple that went to the, uh, doc, I got a little ringing up here, guys, if you could kind of fix it a little bit. It might just be me, not y'all. That's probably my fault, y'all, because I'm like a chihuahua on crack up here when I preach, so don't blame them or look at them. It's my fault up here, okay? But I heard about this couple that went to the doctor because they were having issues with their memory, and they both went to the doctor and said, we just can't remember anything. The simplest things, we completely forget them. And the doctor said, well, you're more seasoned in life. You're seniors. And so it's really not going to get any better. I can't prescribe anything to you. What you need to start doing is you need to start writing everything down. I said, okay, we're going to write everything down. A couple of days later, they were both sitting in the living room. The wife says, boy, I could sure go for some toast right now. The husband says, well, I'll go get it for you. She looks at him and says, you better write it down. Remember what the doctor said. You might forget. He says, I'm just going to the kitchen. I'll be back in like two or three minutes. I don't need to write this down. About five or 10 minutes later, he comes back with a plate of bacon and eggs. She looks at him shaking her head and says, I knew you'd forget my cereal. (laughs) The concept that we're going to unpack today is very easy to forget. And it's the reality that people are hard. No matter what context you deal with people in, whether it's your work, 
you have a job where you work with the public, whether it's your family or even your church, that really a church is defined not by a building, but it's the ecclesia, it's the gathering, it's the called out ones. In other words, it's the people. People are the reasons for the greatest joys in our lives. But if we're being honest, people are also the reason for the greatest frustrations that we deal with. If I was going to give this sermon a title today, I would call it Dealing with Difficult People. If we were to go further into that, I would probably name this sermon Dealing with Friends and Family and Coworkers for Most of Us. Even the people we love can drive us nuts. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Didn't even have to look at your neighbor, you know what I'm saying? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to close this chapter down today before we go to Matthew 6, and we're going to look at verses 38 through 48, and we're going to take a look at this concept that Jesus gives that is so powerful, and I don't want to say anything else and spoil any of the points, but let's start in verse 38, and we'll go verse by verse through this, and uh, just go from there. Is everybody with me? Say, I am. He says this in verse 38. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. In the first verse, Jesus hearkens back to the Beatitudes and he gives us the concept that what we're supposed to do if we're followers of Christ is be peacemakers with evil people. He points out all different types of people. And first, he talks about not resisting an evil person, be a peacemaker with evil people. If you remember, Pastor Brandon, our student pastor, did an incredible job in week one of this series when he preached through the Beatitudes. And in verse 9 of Matthew 5, he quoted, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. How do you identify a child of God? They're a peacemaker. Jesus says, You've heard it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And what he's referring to is an Old Testament law called lex talionis. Or also it's known as the law of retaliation or the law of retribution. This was a law in the Old Testament that was given not for personal use, but for the courts to use in civil and criminal judgments. So the idea is... If you're accused of a crime or sued for something criminally and it's found that you're guilty, then you have to have equal uh, retribution or equal retaliation given to you. Now, Jesus does not oppose this law for civil and criminal cases. Jesus opposes it for personal use. So many of us get into this idea in our personal lives that I'm going to go tit for tat with this person. The punishment is going to fit the crime. Uh, they're going to get this for that. Or, or maybe you've heard it posted this way before or said this way. They're getting karma for what they did to me, and it's what they deserve. Jesus opposes using an eye for an eye as a means for personal vengeance and revenge. Using the law like this only encourages bitterness, malice, and hatred towards other people. Practically, if people practice this idea in any kind of a society, Jesus knows that it could get out of hand and lead to total breakdown of a culture or a society. 
So in the first verse, Jesus gives us this broad, really, idea that's going to be dictated through the next several examples he gives us to really figuratively lay this out for us. But the idea is, be loving, not hateful, be kind, not harsh. Next, he gets into three specific examples that we can all relate to if we really think about it. He says this, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So secondly, Jesus says, turn the other cheek with all people. If anyone, it's not just evil people, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek with all people. You ever heard somebody say, I don't get mad, I get even? You ever thought that before? I'm going to get even with them? Jesus says, no, no, no. You don't slap them back. You turn the other cheek. The word for slap here is a word that means a backhanded slap intended to embarrass. It's the exact same word that's used in Matthew chapter 26 when Jesus was blindfolded before he was crucified and they smacked him, the soldiers smacked him. Not only can this might, it might be painful, but more importantly, it's completely insulting and degrading. Now, let me make this clear and contextualize this for us and make sure that we understand that Jesus is not saying, don't protect yourself. He's not saying you shouldn't protect your family. Uh, he's not saying, as some liberal so-called Christians would say, uh, that you shouldn't buy guns. Amen, Rev Church. I love guns. Thank you, Jesus, for letting us buy guns. <laughs> we can say that in Cross Vegas. Amen, y'all. If I was in Nashville, I don't know. He's not saying that we're not supposed to punish those that commit violent crimes. He's not saying we're supposed to be pacifist. He's not saying, once again, as some so-called liberal Christians, so-called, would use this scripture, pull it out of context, and justify things like abolish the police. This is not what Jesus is saying. If you remember, Jesus himself drove out the change makers in the temple. Okay? He, he has righteous indignation when you're supposed to act, when you're supposed to protect. I like the way John Stott puts it. He says, Christ's illustrations are not to be taken as the charter for any unscrupulous tyrant, ruffian, beggar, or thug. His purpose was to forbid revenge, not to encourage injustice, dishonesty, or vice. True love caring for both the individual and society, takes action to deter evil and promote good. So that's not what he's saying. The idea Jesus is giving is put away anger and revenge when it wells up in you. It's interesting that he uses this example of being slapped, being backhanded, because there's nothing like being slapped. I know that if I was to poll the men in here, most men, if not every single man in here, would say, I'd rather be knocked out by somebody punching me in the face in front of everyone and break my jaw than to be backhanded and slapped in front of everyone and be humiliated. Does anybody know what the uh, tortilla challenge is? Raise your hand. You ever heard of the tortilla challenge? Well, if you want to have some fun this afternoon, get online and look up tortilla challenge because... It's this thing that people do on social media. we got to find better stuff to do with our time, y'all. I don't know what we're doing. 
But uh, anyway, you fill your mouth up with water, two people do, and they stand across from each other with a tortilla in their hand, and they slap each other in the face. And the first one that laughs or spits their water out loses. Well, one night we had a small group here with the staff at the church, and uh, for some reason that came up, and some people were actually doing that challenge, and my daughter uh, told my wife, who is her mother, we should do the tortilla challenge, Mom. And she grabs a tortilla. I don't think she quite understood the rules of it and how to do it. She grabs the tortilla and in front of almost the whole staff, slaps my wife right in the face with it. And my wife was completely frozen. She did not know what to do because her daughter just slapped her in the face with a tortilla. (laughs) She probably wanted to murder her. How many parents know what I'm saying? Like, what did you just do? This is not funny, you know? Like... Why? Because it's humiliating to get slapped. It brings up this this feeling inside of you of embarrassment, especially if it's in front of other people. Now, I want you to keep this in mind because a couple of points from now, we're going to tie right back into something that's humiliating with something Jesus talks about. The idea is, You don't physically respond when someone slaps you. You'd be a peacemaker. He continues in verse 40 and says, And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, this is the point where Jesus, like up till now, we're all like, yes, that makes sense. Turn the other cheek. But now is where it gets difficult. Because what Jesus is saying is, be irrationally generous with lost people. Why do you say lost people, Josh? Because it was understood in the early church that Christians didn't sue each other. In fact, some Christians were bringing court cases against each other. In the book of Corinthians, Paul corrects it and says, no, no, no. None of you guys are supposed to be suing each other. Stop doing that. So in this context, it's clear that Jesus is talking about people that are not believers, they have not been saved yet, and they're bringing a legal attack against a believer, someone that is saved. And Jesus says, instead of fighting it, be irrationally generous with lost people. He says, if they sue you for your shirt, may say tunic in your translation. Nobody ever uses that word anymore. Nobody says tunic. What he's talking about is your inner garment that's worn under your coat next to your skin. And this was actually something that was used to pay off debts. Uh, It was something that was used to barter. People would give uh, tunics or their shirt in our context today uh, for different things. He says, if they want that, don't just give them that. Give them that, but also give them your coat. The coat was something that was the outer garment. It was much more valuable than the tunic. The coat was so valuable, in fact, that there were Old Testament laws, like in Deuteronomy 24, that forbid people in court cases from taking someone's coat from them. It was used as bedding. It was needed to survive in the middle of the desert. Jesus says, don't just give them your tunic, your shirt. Give them your coat as well. I got this shirt yesterday at Bucky's. Y'all like it? It's pretty sweet. I know, I, it's like my 500th Bucky shirt that I've bought, okay, y'all? I'm, that, I'm one of those people that gets every shirt that comes out up there, and it's really nice, and I really love it. 
but I also got this coat about a month ago at a used clothing store. This is a vintage Michael Jordan's Wheaties coat. Yeah, y'all are like, wow. Now, if you had to choose which one would you take, if you could only take one, the Bucky shirt is nice, right? But the vintage Michael Jordan Wheaties jacket is so much more valuable and so much nicer. Jesus is saying, if somebody sues me for my shirt, I'm not just supposed to give you my shirt. I'm supposed to give you the Wheaties Michael Jordan jacket that you've been looking for for five years and you never could afford until you saved the money up and found it in a used clothing store on sale. Give them this as well. Is everybody with me? Say amen. In other words, be irrationally generous with lost people. Don't get too tied to the stuff in this world and your material possessions, in other words. The big idea here is have a radically unselfish attitude. A couple points from now, we're going to have something similar. Be irrationally generous. Now, now this is the point in this passage where, again, up till now, it's been like, okay, we get it, turn the other cheek. But now it gets tough because now Jesus is messing with the thing that most likely has a hold of every one of our hearts. He's telling you what to do with your money. He's telling you what to do with your stuff. He's telling you, You know that thing where he said, where your treasure is, there your heart is? Well, this is what you're supposed to do with it. There's two goals with being irrationally generous with lost people. Number one, we want to please our Father in heaven, and we want to have the favor of God on our lives. But number two, you want this to be a witness to a lost person. In these first three points, you get the idea of this scripture. It's kind of repetitive because he explains it in so many ways. Uh, But it's very similar to a passage of Scripture that's become a life passage for me. And I would encourage you in some way, shape, or form to memorize Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 17 through 21 in some way, shape, or form because you need to hide this in your heart. It'll help you in your everyday walk as a Christian. Listen to what Romans 12 says and how similar it is to what we find Jesus saying here. It says, "...do not repay anyone evil for evil." Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The wisdom principle in what Jesus is saying and what it says in Romans chapter 12 is this behavior, gentleness, love, forgiveness, being a peacemaker, turning the other cheek, usually even with lost people, does not escalate things further Instead, what it does is it usually, even with lost people, leads to repentance and reconciliation. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about being reconciled with all people. Jesus says, if you're a Christian and they're not, you're the one that takes it on the chin. 
for the good of being reconciled. What Jesus is saying is, don't use your energy hating others. Instead, use your energy for the purpose that God has for you. And rest assured, that purpose is not hating others. Some of y'all, I used this phrase a few weeks ago and I was talking about anger, right? Some of y'all got people in your lives that have been living rent-free in your head for years. What Jesus is saying is, it's time to kick them out and let God deal with them and let God's word and his purpose move in, if that makes sense. Because remember, uh, when a demon flees and he comes back and he finds the house all cleaned up, if it's not filled with something else, he's coming back with five of his buddies. So you better fill it back up with something. Fill your mind up with something. Fill your house up with something or he is coming back. Someone pushes your buttons. Someone disrespects you. Someone is rude to you. Someone is downright evil against you. You got to let it go. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, let it go. My daughter's 15 years old, and about 10 or 12 years ago, the worst movie that has ever been made in America came out. The movie was called Frozen. And any dad in here that had a daughter that was my daughter's age knows exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe it was all right the first time we saw it, but I got so stinking sick of the movie Frozen because there was a song that my daughter would not stop singing. Does anybody know what it's called? Let it go. That's the soundtrack for this passage. Let it go. Let it go. I'm not going to think about it anymore. Let it go. Turn away, slam the door. I told you all, I know this song by heart. I sing it in my sleep still sometimes and have nightmares. Let it go. Continues, verse 41, gives us another example. He's really making sure we understand this. Y'all get the point? If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. You've heard this scripture before. Even if you're not a church person, you've probably heard this before. The concept is go the extra mile with difficult people. Go the extra mile with difficult people. What Jesus is referring to when he says this is the idea that Israel was controlled by the government Rome. And Rome had a law in place that legally compelled Jewish people to assist Roman soldiers. It was called the law of a thousand paces or the law of one mile. We see this play out in Mark chapter 15. A great example of this is when Simon of Cyrene is forced to help Jesus carry his cross to Golgotha. If you remember that, that was the law of a thousand paces or the law of a thousand steps. This law required Jews to assist Roman soldiers with a load that they had for one mile. This law to Jews was extremely humiliating. It was kind of like being backhanded in the face. Rest assured that this was a law that Roman soldiers, I'm sure, regularly abused and treated Jews terrible because of it. Jesus says, don't just go a thousand paces, go two thousand paces. This thing that humiliates you, that you feel like is an abuse of power, that you completely disagree with, 
it's not infringing on your God-given rights. Don't just go the first mile. Go the second mile. I tried to think of something this week that was equivalent to this, that we'd really understand. And I thought of something, and I hope enough time has passed between when this happened and now that I'm not going to get 30 emails and death threats from people and all kinds of stuff like that in the church. You remember when the pandemic started in 2020. And very quickly in our culture, people split into two camps. One camp was, this is ridiculous. And I don't know, you you can probably tell which camp I fall into because it seems like this camp may have been right. But anyway, that's beside the point. But this is ridiculous. We don't need the lockdown. We don't need to wear masks. We don't need to do all this stuff. Why are y'all trying to do this? This is crazy. What are you doing? You're not following the science. The other side of the fence was, we need to shut everything down. Everybody needs to wear masks. Everybody needs to get vaccinated. You people are ignoring the science. Y'all remember that? And you remember the tension you felt just when you walked into a store that had a mask policy? I remember, like I read stuff like this and I go, man, I'm doing pretty good with this. I'm trying to love my enemies here. And then I remember walking into a store and them saying, where's your mask? And this rage I would feel come up inside me. How dare you ask me to do something I don't want to do? How dare you ask me to go a thousand steps? What I should have done was I should have looked at him and said, why don't I wear two? Does this make sense? Say amen. But instead, so many of us didn't practice what Jesus is teaching here. Don't just go one mile, go two miles. Carry it another thousand steps. But this time, don't do it because the law requires it. Do it voluntarily. This time, don't do it for the kings of this world. Do it for the king of heaven. If obligation and the law dictates the first mile, compassion, let it dictate the second mile. Make sense, everybody? Don't just do the things you have to do or you're required to do. Go above and beyond what is expected even legally of you is what Jesus is saying in the name of grace and in the name of mercy. He continues in verse 42, and once again, he's getting into our pocketbook. Look what he says. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus says, have a lifestyle of giving to others. In other words, what Jesus is saying is if someone comes to you with a desperate and legitimate need. Now, he's not saying, notice, don't go from A to Z on this like many Christians do and blindly give to organizations that aren't using the funds right. Do your homework. Make sure uh, every penny that you're a steward over, by the way, is being used in the proper way. He's not saying uh, someone that's lazy. He's not saying someone that's irresponsible. He's not saying to enable someone in their addictions or their slothfulness and harm them. He's not saying participate in kind of what I've called toxic generosity, Ministries are things that will uh, enable poverty and cause this continuation of poverty in people's lives instead of discipling them out of that. 
What he is saying is if someone is hurting and someone needs your help and you have the means to help them, help them. You got to understand the audience Jesus was speaking to was a Jewish audience. And I know today in our culture, many people have no shame begging. Uh, You get on social media, somebody pops their Venmo up and says, please give me money because I don't have a job and I'm not judging you for that. But there is a really cool place you can go when you're broke. You know where it is? It's called to work. You know what I'm saying? You can go to work. And so, so people didn't stand on exits in Jewish people didn't stand on exits and hold signs up that say, need food, need money, please give, give, give. They didn't beg. Jewish people would rather die than beg. So for someone to ask meant that it was killing them inside. It meant that they really needed help. Jesus says, help them. Don't lecture them. Don't shame them. Don't judge them. Feed them and share with them. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, Be generous because a miser is no follower of Jesus. D.A. Carson says about this verse, Christ will not tolerate a mercenary, tight-fisted, penny-pinching attitude. Don't ask yourself what's in it for me or what can I get out of it. Just be generous. Why do we do this? We help others because God helped us. At one point, every single one of us was a spiritual beggar, and God was so generous with every one of us. In fact, the most well-known verse that there's ever been in the world, the essence of the gospel found in John 3.16 goes like this. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Wow. One of the main attributes that God has is generosity. You want to be more like Jesus? You want to be more godly? Be giving. Be generous. Jesus is pointing out here, and he's really setting up chapter 6, because in chapter 6 next week, we're going to start getting into really the hypocritical things. Don't pray in front of other people to be seen. Don't fast and make yourself look like uh, you're, you're really hurting in order for people to see you and think you're more spiritual, this hyper-spirituality and hypocriticalness. But he's pointing out and setting up the idea, if there's anything that illustrates this, it's this. The hardest thing to do for every single one of us is to live as a Christian 24-7. It's easy for us to come in here for an hour on Sunday and turn the other cheek and be cool with everybody. Some of y'all come in here, hey, this is hard for me too, even your pastor. You come in here and you make sure when you're inside the four walls of the church, you don't dare say a cuss word. You don't dare disrespect a senior, right? You respect your elders. You, You practice all these things, but when you go out through the week... How easy is it to fall away from every single bit of that stuff? It's where the struggle is. In 10 years of pastoring this church, uh, I was on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook anymore, but I am on Instagram. I've seen some, some things that people have posted that have been great things, and I've seen some things that people have posted that have been straight-up evil things, and uh, social media has this way of really fulfilling what Scripture says you know, what comes out of your mouth shows what's in your heart sort of deal because we all feel like we have this measure of 
uh, protection. We can be keyboard warriors on social media. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, so be careful what you post on social media. That's the lesson there because before we hire anybody, we do a Google search and we search every single social media platform. And if you're losing your mind, but you're acting like Jesus Jr. with us, we ain't hiring you. Amen, y'all. And so, uh, so anyway, that's probably every, every place that hires somebody. But, but there's, there was this one, there was this one post that really, I think, best illustrates the struggle for many of us. And if you posted something like this, I'm not judging you. I get the heart behind what you're saying. You're probably just saying you're excited to be able to go to church. But the post went like this. My kid doesn't have a tournament this weekend, so we're going to have our Jesus time. That's Christianity in America in a nutshell. As long as I don't have this, I'll live for Christ. As long as my kid doesn't have a tournament, I'll go to church. And it's not just about going to church on Sunday. Please understand, it's 24-7 following Jesus. As long as nobody treats me bad, I'll follow Jesus. As long as nobody makes me angry, I'll follow Jesus. As long as Jesus doesn't tell me what to do with my money, I'll follow Jesus. As long as Jesus doesn't tell me what to do with my sex life, I'll follow Jesus. As long as Jesus doesn't convict me and I'm just encouraged all the time, I'll follow Jesus. As long as I can still do my thing, I'll follow Jesus. That's the struggle. 24-7 discipleship. Jesus closes this chapter of the Bible down. And I didn't split this up into two different sermons because I felt like if I did, I'd be saying sort of the same thing next week. So I'm going to read through this last part. Again, iconic scripture. And it kind of is self-explanatory to this point because we've given so many examples. Uh, he says this in verse 43 to verse 48. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, Love your neighbor was actually found in the book of Leviticus, but nowhere in the Bible can you find hate your enemy, hate your neighbor, hate anybody. These people have heard their whole lives growing up, the preachers in their synagogues telling them, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, and it amounted to legalism and liberalism. They added to the word of God, in other words. You know, love your neighbor. See, that's how the enemy works, and you need to be very aware of this. This is why we preach three books of the Bible verse by verse, because we want you to know this stuff, not just walk away thinking that Pastor Josh is so great at preaching. Y'all know what I'm saying? We want you to know this stuff, because the way the enemy works is he puts a little bit of truth in something and then adds a whole bunch of stuff to it, and you can't tell the difference. Sometimes you look at it and you go, boy, that sounds familiar. I guess I'm supposed to follow that. Or he takes a little bit of truth and takes all the other truth off of it and just pull something out of context. So, so love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Another side note, once again, the Sermon on the Mount was preached to Christians, not on how to become Christians, but how to live their lives after they become Christians. He says here that you may be, not so you can become children of your father. You already are is how it's written. You're already children of your father uh, in heaven. 
He causes his son to to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word for perfect here, if that confuses you, does that mean we can be perfect? It's the Greek word teleos. It means to come to completion, or a better definition is to become mature. So when he says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, he means grow up, be more godly, become a mature believer. Don't miss the importance of this. What marks a mature believer? When you love people, even the ones you want to hate. How you deal with difficult people determines how mature you are in Christ. Jesus says in this last part of the passage, love all people without discrimination. Love all people without discrimination. You got to love Democrat. You got to love Republicans. You got to love black people. You got to love white people. You got to love brown people. You got to love Southerners. You got to love Yankees. We have a hard time with this on the staff. We're all on staff together, but this means I have to love Georgia fans like Pastor Brandon. Hard to do. And he's got to love Tennessee fans. We love all people. Jesus didn't say love the way they live. He didn't say love the way they vote. He didn't say love what they believe. He didn't say love the way they treat you. He didn't say love their plans. He didn't say love their motives. He says love the person. And by the way, the form of love that's used here is agape love. It's a non-emotional, endearing kind of love. In other words, it's a one-way love, even if they don't love you back. It's been described as a no-strings attached love, we love them. I have interesting conversations with people when I see them out. When you see somebody you know in Walmart, probably different than me because you probably know their name. Um, And everybody knows me, but I don't know everybody. So like I'll be in Walmart and get stopped. Sometimes me and my kids, like we make these bets. You know, I think it'll be more than 10 people. I think it'll be less than 10 people. And, and, uh, that'll say, Hey pastor. And, uh, My conversations in Walmart are not like, hey, pastor, man, what do you think about the weather? My conversations are like, hey, pastor, um, I smoked crack last night. Can you pray for me? And I'm like, why are you telling me that? I don't even know who you are. You know what I mean? Like, and and, because people feel like they know me and I get that because my personality comes out up here and I'm not saying that's great or anything. I'm just saying I have some interesting conversations. One day uh, I met this guy in Walmart and and if you're in here, I love you, but I didn't know your name. And, uh, uh, but you knew me, and they were telling me about how they were going through a divorce. And they were talking about their soon-to-be ex-wife, and take your pills, okay? Um, 
That's what my alarms are for. So take your medication, whatever. Anybody with me? Say amen. Okay, yeah. And so uh, this guy starts telling me about his soon-to-be ex-wife and how she did this, you know, his side of the story, you know. I didn't have anything to do with it. Takes two to tango usually is what I've learned. But I didn't have, she did this and she's this and calling her names and talking bad and whatever. And I just looked at him and this passage kind of popped in my head and you'll get this advice from me if you ever talk to me one-on-one and you're struggling like that. And I get it. I'm not judging them for that. But I just said, hey man, have you been praying for your wife? Soon be ex-wife. No, why would I do that? Because Jesus tells us to. And, And let me just tell you, bro, you'll find it really almost impossible to hate someone that you're praying God will bless. That's what I've learned in my life. There's been moments in my life, even since I've become a pastor, y'all, where I'm ready to go to Lowe's, buy metal fencing, go build a cage, an octagon, invite someone to the octagon so that I can ground and pound them. Arm bar, triangle choke, wake them back up so I can put them to sleep again. Y'all know what I'm saying? I'm a guy. I'm sorry, okay? Guys in here can relate. But what I found is when I start praying for them, like Jesus says here, bless them. Take care of them. Bless them more than you bless me, God. It's impossible for me to have those feelings. So yes, it's for them, but it's also for you. And the reason we do this is because it makes us more like God the Father. And God is so full of grace that He's shown every single one of us. If God loves you, and you know you better than anyone, then it means you can love others. We've been working hard on this. uh, I'll close with this. Uh, We've been working hard on the uh, movie theater uh, to future church building. And um, the thing that I think, if you've been at Revolution Church for any amount of time, we're all excited for more than anything else is not that it's a movie theater, not that we'll have comfortable seats, not that we've got 42,000 square feet to fit everybody in, not that we got all that parking, not that the outside looks great, not that it cost us you know, a third of what it was going to cost us to build and all that stuff, but we're excited. If you've been here for a while, what's the main thing we're most excited about? We've talked about it. Anybody know? The bathrooms. You know, If you're visiting, you're like, what? What are you talking about? You keep coming, you'll know. Like, go to the bathroom after this service, and it's going to be backed up uh, with people trying to, anyway. And so um, so we're excited about the bathrooms, but we notice, because we've moved students there in our ways, there are young adults ministry and so on and so forth, that we're having some issues in one of the bathrooms with a few of the toilets. And the plumber came a couple times. We thought it was fixed. And then this past week, it did it again. They're backing up. We can't figure out what's going on. And the plumber came in and he pulled this out of one of the lines. Look at that. Pulled that out of one of the lines. A beer can. Now, hopefully this wasn't a student on Wednesday night that shotgunned a beer before they went into students and then flushed it down the toilet. It was probably somebody that before they went and saw a movie, uh, they did that and then flushed the can down the toilet. But that thing was clogging up our lines. Some of us. 
you got God pouring all this grace and mercy into you. But you've got a beer can clogging up your lines. And you've got no grace and mercy flowing out of you. Some of y'all got somebody or some people that live rent-free in your head. Some of y'all struggle with anger. Some of y'all have the attitude of, I'll treat them good if they treat me good. Which is completely worldly. Some of y'all describe yourselves as, I'm an introvert and I just don't like people and I don't want to be around people and it's just an excuse for you to be a narcissist that treats people how you want to. The prayer this weekend is that God sets you free. And you can start to live a grace-filled life and understand what true freedom is, what being free indeed is, and allowing grace and mercy to flow out of you, not just into you. Fair enough, Rev Church? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for every single person that's here. Be with us this week as we go and try to fulfill this passage that is easy preaching but hard living. In Jesus' name. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.